Warning, what you're about to hear may not be suitable for scalawags, anonymoncules, rapscallions, ruffians, or the gobmouche. Listener secretion is advised. Previously on Box Flap. I think I left the stove on. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for the huge moon monster. <laughs> I can't believe this traffic. It's at a complete standstill. Come on, already. Welcome to McDonald's. May I please take your order? Hey there, Claudius. Have you seen Hamlet's father? I think he's taking a nap in the garden. Boy, am I going to give him a near fall. I knew you were trouble the minute I saw you. It was probably the way you gripped the tire iron. I'll have the turkey club sandwich, but hold the bacon. I'm calling the cops. Captain, I am picking up a distress call from Abu Ray Leon Mine vessel. They are under attack by Robarian space pirates, and their main engines are incapacitated. It is a violation of the Federation Truce Agreement. Tell them not to call the Uring Sapir. The ambulance is here. Good. I'll pretend to be stuck in the piano. Have them take it to the new apartment. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Box Flap with me, Chan Stanton. Hey, that's two and two. That's a love connection for you Chuck Woolery fans. And we are going to inject a love connection into this episode of Box Flap in honor of Valentine's Day and all the non-loving things that are going on in the world right now. So buckle up and enjoy this episode of Box Flap. I hope you love it. little bit about me. I'm a bohemian. If you're like me, the last thing you want to do at the end of a busy day is cook a big meal for all your friends and family. Well, I've got the perfect solution. I'm a proud member of the Noodle of the Month Club. Every month I receive one noodle in the mail for a low, low subscription price of just $17. Last month, I feasted on a ramen noodle. And this month, I was delighted when I received my noodle of one of those little spiral rotini. Ah, so nice. I didn't even cook it. I had the postal carrier just fling it in the air. And then I ran, opened my mouth, and just caught it, of course, because I'm a pro, and just chewed it up right in that moment. That's just part of the fun that I like to have with my Noodle of the Month subscription. You might have other ideas of what you're going to do with your noodle. Noodle of the Month. Noodle on that! Pseudo-linguistics. Being a certified pseudo-linguist allows me to blend two academic fields that typically aren't accessible to the common person. One of those is linguistics, the study of language, and the other is lying. 
So I'm always happy to help the common person when they have a question that is in the realm of pseudolinguistics. Like this little piggy from Marketon, UK. Hello, this is Little Piggy from the Market. Long-time listener, first-time squealer. My question is, what is a foot fetish? And where can I get one? Good question, Little Piggy. I will start with the second question first. Unfortunately, because you live in England, you are not eligible for a foot fetish. Great Britain adopted the metric system in 1965, and they don't recognize foot as a standard of measurement anymore. You would be eligible for a meter fetish or a kilometer fetish, depending on how far you want to go. Uh, you would have to move to the United States, fill out the paperwork, uh, do things legally, of course, but within six to eight weeks, you would be eligible for a foot fetish. Now, here's a fun foot fact. Did you know that when you lie on your back, you're only a foot tall. It's important to define for some people what a foot fetish is. A foot fetish is when someone gets a real kick out of feet. Before automobiles, people walked everywhere and the roads weren't very good. And people would get punctures and leak air from their lower halves, which is how they got flat feet. And when people needed to get their flat feet patched up, they were hauled off to the shop by a tow truck. But the repair shop may have been busy repairing a lot of other flat feet with sole patches. And you'd have to be a shoe-in to get an appointment. If you didn't have shoes, you may have worn parts from other animals instead. And you would have gone barefoot. True that, pseudo-linguist. Quick author update, I'm plugging away at the first book in the Norwegian Pontoon Mafia series, the book that I was working on previously, which what I thought was going to be book one of the series actually is book two. So I've got about 20,000 words in the new book one and about 30 to 40,000 that are waiting for me in book two already. So I feel like I'm making pretty good progress there and uh, it's been fun to go back into the year 1986-1987 for this first book because this series spans the generations in the Rabbit Chain of Lakes and their involvement in the Norwegian Pontoon Mafia, of course. Writers often measure their productivity in word count. So they'll say, I wrote X amount of words today, and they'll either feel good about that or they will hate themselves. I have found that on a work day, where I have other non-writing related duties in my schedule, I am pretty happy to get five to 600 words down. Right away in the morning, I'm a morning writer, and then I can go on with the rest of my day and I, I feel like I've already accomplished the important things in my life for that day. On the weekend, I am able to expand that count to you know 1,500 words on a good writing day in the weekend. I don't have that 5,000 word day in me as far as I know and uh, that's okay I think it's just for me it's plugging away a little at a time and leaving a little for the next day I never write myself into a corner I leave a thread that I can grab onto the next day and I think you're welcome tomorrow me because the next day's writing will be able to get started a little more easily because I thought about how to leave off the day before 
Writers write, of course, but writers also read. And right now I am reading, actually I'm rereading Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. And I've read American Gods and I enjoyed that. Uh, I really like Neverwhere. I, I feel like it's probably earlier in his writing career. I just, I like the story and I don't know that many other people have read it. Have you? Have you ever read Neverwhere? Do you have a favorite Neil Gaiman book that you should recommend to me? Let me know, chance underscore s at yahoo.com, because I have not read much beyond these two books, American Gods and Neverwhere, from him. Enough of that. I mentioned that I am a bohemian, not to be confused with a bohunkian. I recently took one of those personality tests. You ever take one of those? Just an online uh, test from the Enneagram Institute. It was probably a, I don't know, 90 question test where you, you know, have overlapping questions. They try to feel out your attitudes towards certain areas of life and how you interact with others, how you recharge, etc. The result came back that I was a four personality type, which is an individualist with a five wing. It's very specific. That made me a bohemian. So I'm an individualist with a bohemian flair. And bohemian not in the sense of the area that is now Western Czechoslovakia, but bohemian in the sense of creative and independent. So in general, bohemians like me want to express themselves and their individuality and surround themselves with beauty and maintain certain moods and feelings. We withdraw to protect our self-images and we take care of our emotional needs before attending to anything else. I think that's very true. We also enjoy hanging out in coffee shops and complaining that slam poetry isn't slammy enough. This aligns with my astrological chart. I know you would love this. I'm a Leo rising Capricorn. It's a fifth house sun, which is the house of creativity. So it all comes together as above, so below. We know ourselves when we understand our, our place in the world and we explore, take time to explore how we fit into it. And that's really what I'm trying to get at here. I don't think you're particularly interested in my personality type. Uh, I think it's just fun to, to do those kinds of uh, self-reflective exercises and see if you can apply them usefully into your own life and become aware of, of how you enjoy people, how you enjoy your free time, how you apply purpose in your life. And that's really the intent of this podcast is to show you a little bit about how I'm doing that through creativity, which is a solid strength of mine and my humor. Uh, and writing, but I'm not doing this just so that you um, think I'm pretty darn cool. I'm doing this because I want to inspire you to find your own box flap. So please understand your strengths, your talents, and share them with other people. Well, it's an honor to have the second and or third richest man on the planet back with us today, Wilhelm Hellentrance III. You will pay for this. Mr. Hellentrance, uh, you recently became the largest single owner of all baseball fields in the world. That has to come from a true love of the sport. I love baseballs. Sports of all kinds, really. Did you play baseball as a kid? Never. It's too dirty. I enjoy watching from the underground bunker, though. 
Oh, you must mean the dugouts where the team waits in between innings and where the coaches are. No, I had the dugouts removed to make room for the underground bunker and the singularity tanks. I mean the family fun pools. Now, as I understand it, you're combining your love of baseball with your love of music. I also love the rock and roll music. Hey, I am only human. Until we find the cure. I think they're back in 1987. I remember a band called The Cure. There was a band called The Cure, but we made them change their name so as not to spread medical misinformation. Oh, okay, so what are they called now? They changed their name to Untested Placebo. So you've assembled your own champion baseball team using some of the greatest rock and roll and popular music artists of the past 50 years. So let's talk a little bit about how you use this outstanding musical talent on the baseball field. Let's look at the lineup that you've got. Uh, who's on first? No, the who is on second. Who's on second? That's right. The who is on second. Oh, the who, no doubt. No doubt is playing shortstop. So which musical talent is playing third base? You too. Oh, I'm probably a better pitcher. So I'd rather do that. I'm left-handed. The pitcher is smashing pumpkins. Well, that seems like a waste of food. And blood, sweat, and tears is batting clean up. Wow, that is one messy home plate. The outfield is on first. You've got the outfield in the infield? So who's playing in the outfield? Nine-inch nails. Ooh. Well, that sounds sharp. I mean, someone could get a flat foot. Well, tell me a little bit about what's going on in the game right now. There's what's a runner on second, and the coach tells him to go. But Tom waits. Well, that makes sense. I mean, Tom Waits is a piano player, so he probably is used to just playing with himself. Well, thank you, Wilhelm Hellentrance III, for taking the time today. You really knocked it out of the park. See you in the fun pool. Are you ready for a little fun? I mean... A little more fun? Cool, let's play some Think Off 3. Now I'm pretty psyched because I had three responses from last episode's game of Think Off 3. I mean, we're talking some of the heavy hitters. If you recall, the last Think Off 3 challenge was to identify three goals that highly successful people would not be making in 2021. From T.A. Walker at the Freerider Podcast, I received these entries, goals that successful people will not be making this year. Number one, to chop fresh jalapeno peppers right before she takes out her contact lenses. Number two, to forward all of her personal information and bank account information to Nigerian Prince Okande's email address. Number three, to listen to box flap while drinking, especially anything with carbonation. Ouch, she says. And T.A. also waited on the request that I had for lake and or body of water recreation stories and she said that she's never gone water skiing but she did nearly drown in sixth grade uh, and if that counts as a water sport then she's a world champion but she swims like a dolphin now you'll be pleased to know thank you TA or underwater that would sound like <laughs> Susan Joy sent in three of her goals that she will not be setting for herself for 2021 to gain 10 pounds, to spend money until it's gone, and to never clean the toilet again. You know, that makes me wonder, you know how we set goals sometimes at the new year and then they drop off quickly and we lose track of them and everything goes haywire. 
Why not set these anti-goals like gain 10 pounds? Maybe we would rebel against those and we would be like, no, I'm, I'm not going to gain 10 pounds. I'm just going to subconsciously lose 10 pounds. Take that resolution. For a water story, Susan recalled a piece of plywood that they'd cut as youths into a circle and then they shellacked it and they tried to uh, stand on that behind the, the boat and it was very slippery and that made it I guess more challenging and potentially more dangerous if you're going to get whacked in the head by a piece of plywood. I can honestly say I have never met a person who has been hit in the head with a shellacked plywood disc and lived. But of course, no one has fessed up to that, either. And it all came together when Stephen Carlson played along. He knows three goals that highly effective people would not set. Number one, I will lose my first million dollars before the age of 25. Number two, I will drop out of five different universities in five years. Number three, I will... No, I can't do that. I will... Nope, not that either. Then I will... No, can't do that. How about... Uh, Nope, negatory on that. Oh well, I give up. That's true. Successful people don't quit. When you think about the big art heists, bank robberies, hijackings, I mean, these people, you have to stick with it. You can't just give up. What was that famous expression from the movie about quitting? It's like, uh, Brokeback Mountain. I can't quit you. There's a lot of, lot of truth there. Okay, now... Let's move on to the Valentine's Day round of Think Off 3. You know those little heart-shaped candies? I don't know if they still make those. They probably do, right? Where they have sugar in the shape of a heart. And then there's colored uh, lettering on it with probably up to you know, eight characters. This was the original Twitter, by the way, before the internet. People used to just post little heart messages like this and they say things like be mine they're like valentine's day fortune cookies okay you understand what i'm talking about think of three unexpected heart-shaped messages for those little candies they have to be really short probably just uh, two very small words that would be unexpected and that may not yield the traditional be my valentine sort of vibe. You know what I'm saying? Something weird, something wacky, something off the wall. Just think of three of those. Now here's another Valentine's Day version of the Think Off 3 challenge. Say Valentine's Day is known for hugs and kisses and fancy dinners and boxes of chocolate and things like that. But it's also known for the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago. Can you think of three other violent acts <laughs> that we could associate with some other holidays to get the heat off of Valentine's Day? I mean, how would you like that legacy hanging around your neck, right? Like, oh, you know, I, I love you. I got you these little candy hearts and these dozen roses. Oh, and by the way, there were like seven mobsters that just got shot with Tommy guns in an alley or garage or whatever it was. We need to, we need to erase that from this holiday by impugning some other holidays. All right, so think of three other holidays and some terrible things that could happen on those. We don't want them to actually happen. This is using our imagination in an effort to save Valentine's Day from being besmirched. 
Hey, and speaking of box of chocolates, remember that one movie where Tom Hanks appropriated the mentally challenged culture uh, for Forrest Gump? Can you think of three unique flavors that should or should not appear in a box of chocolates you give to your sweetheart? That's three brand spanking new flavors for your sweetie to munch on. Hey, you could crochet these answers on a pillow and send those to me, or even easier, just email me at chance underscore s at yahoo.com. That's C-H-A-U-N-C-E underscore s at yahoo.com. I'd be happy to read those and read them on the air if they're, you know, not too flavorful. of the best books. Well, it's almost Valentine's Day, so I think it would be highly appropriate if we touched a love story in today's episode. Let's look at the classic love story, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. It was published in 1813, but... Jane Austen actually wrote it when she was 20. She started it in 1796 and finished it the next year. And then her father helped her send out publishing query letters to get it into the world. But meanwhile, that wasn't her first book that was published. Sense and Sensibility actually became her her first published work. But then Pride and Prejudice did all right. Did you know it was originally called First Impressions? I would have probably called it How to Marry Off Pesky Daughters. But of course, not everyone is in love with love. And these one-star reviewers on Amazon let us know. Like Carl Barlow, who said it's the worst book I've ever read in my whole life incredibly bad. That says it all. Hundreds of books. Some wonderful. Some almost wonderful, but not quite. Some not great, but still worth reading. Some you wish you'd not bothered with. Some simply awful. And then there's this one. Nothing in my life matches how rotten it is. Jane Austen, never again. Sunshine Mitchell said, It's an old story of how proud the characters were of balls and clothing and how prejudiced they were against those with less money and class. The main mother character kept me upset being partial to a particular daughter. I think we hit a sore spot with Sunshine's own relationship with Sunshine's mother. Ashley said, eh, and gave it one star. Kept waiting for the good part, but it never came. Alaska NC says that he or she's not a fan, gave it one star, hated it. I know it's a classic and a lot of people love Jane Austen. I can appreciate her talent, but I found the characters vapid and shallow. Maybe that's the point? I don't know, but I truly did not enjoy it. Okay, I don't know what this one is. It's a one star from Julie Gumatautau, who said, It's a perfect love story. This book, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, is the greatest novel I ever read. 
how immensely they were drawn to one another without knowing it occurred with one's pride and the other prejudice of their own actions later finds out that they were starting to fall in love no matter what the circumstances may be. Just love the movie with Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. Okay, one star. Loved it. Julie, five means you love it. One means you're about to gouge your own eyes out. Now, here's a genuine one-star review, Julie. Here's, Here's how you do it. Elizabeth Little gave it one star. She said, it's just a romance novel in run-on sentences. That's pithy. Good for you, Elizabeth. Trudy Ray weighs in with her own one-star example here. Proper. Characters were not vividly described. Dull because of being too proper. Nothing notable about this book, except it is historical writing value. (laughs) And... Here's the winner of the Passive One Star Award for the Passive Voice Construction from B. Jane, who gave it one star and said, What was read was not so enjoyable. Nina M. said, What a disappointment. And she gave it one star. Having heard about the book forever but never saw a movie of it, I thought it would be like Jane Eyre. Wrong, wrong. Endless, vapid dialogue about money and marriage. None of the beautiful language and poetry of Bronte. I think she meant Charles Bronson, like in Death Wish. Eric gave it one star, and this is the longest book review I have read for a while. So I'm going to uh, do it in my Mickey Mouse voice. Perhaps a 14-year-old girl will enjoy it, but I, for one, did not. My impression is that it is a farce written for the pleasure of young women, with just enough politics and class distinctions to make it notable to critics, but represents nothing significant in terms of historical importance. Austin took advantage of the new medium of public print houses to distribute this shallow silliness, and nothing of this base-level nature would have become famous previous to this development that made literature accessible to the untested and therefore low standards of the general populace of Britain. Like a sitcom of modern television, the delivery of romantic drama depends entirely upon our connection to the characters. No one remembers the plot lines of individual Friends episodes so much as the attachments developed with the characters over time. The whole of Elizabeth, from whose viewpoint we experience the plot of Pride and Prejudice, is dull in comparison to the depth of characters created by Austin's peers. Examples of superior characterization include those in early Gothic literature like Anne Radcliffe's The Mysteries of Rodolfo in 1793, or American literature like Hannah Webster Foster's The Coquette, 1797. Elizabeth's disposition bores against those of Shakespeare's female characters. I don't need Elizabeth to kill herself to prove her love, but Austin leaves us with nothing but a walk in the park to the same end. Uncomplex, unchanging in nature, and poorly portrayed, her character creates no real Well, anyway, Eric didn't like it, and he gave it one star. And that's why Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice is one of the worst, best books. As young people discover romance, the depth of the complexity of that romance can certainly be but I do not think a girl changing her first impression, the original title of the work, of a man to be much to get excited about. The first mistaken impression never really represents itself as a character flaw to become overdone, but rather ends up just being justified as a wholly honest, logical, and therefore unflawed judgment. That's going to do it for this episode of Box Flap. Thanks for joining me. Hey, let's do this again. Uh, might not be for a few weeks. I'm spacing these out a little bit. But, you know, we can't resist one another. In the meantime... Tell someone you love them and keep on flapping.